there's going to be consequences in our lives as God judges our nation and the nations of the world that reject him and refuse to be obedient to what it is he's told us to do. Preaching the old time gospel with a fresh anointing to to a new generation. This is Saved to the Uttermost with evangelist Brian Tyndall. What do you do when you think you're all right with God and all of a sudden you learn you're not? Today, Brian Tyndall brings us a message from the book of Nehemiah. You see, the Israelites were gathered to give God thanks for helping them rebuild the walls of Jerusalem when they discovered a copy of the book of Moses, God's word, and discovered some things they were doing wrong and found some help from God to make it right. So join us in Nehemiah 13 for a study called, Does Our Temple Need Cleaning? Here's Brian. Today we're going to be in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 13. And I'm going to begin reading in the first verse of the 13th chapter. The scripture says, On that day they read in the book of Moses in the audience of the people, and therein was found written that the Ammonite and the Moabite should not come into the congregation of God forever, because they met not the children of Israel with bread and with water, but hired Balaam against them, that he should curse them. How about our God turned their curse into a blessing? Now it came to pass when they heard the law that they separated from Israel all the mixed multitude. And before this, Eliashib, the priest, having the oversight of the chamber of the house of our God, was allied unto Tobiah. And he had prepared for him a great chamber, where aforetime they laid the meat offerings, the frankincense, and the vessels, and the tithes of the corn, and the new wine and the oil, which were commanded to be given to the Levites and the singers and the porters and the offerings of the priests. But in all this time was I not at Jerusalem. For in the second and thirteenth year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, came I unto the king, and after certain days obtained I leave of the king. And I came to Jerusalem and understood the evil that Eliashib did for Tobiah, and preparing him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. And it grieved me terribly. Therefore I cast forth all the household stuff of Tobiah out of the chamber. And then I commanded, and they cleansed the chambers, and there again brought again the vessels of the house of God with the meat offering and the frankincense. In this passage of Scripture, uh, we're learning about some events that took place in a man's life by the name of Nehemiah. Now, what was going on at this time in the history of the people of God, the the Israelite people, was God had uh, punished them because of their disobedience, because of their sin, and he had uh, sent many of them into captivity into Babylon. He was using a pagan nation to punish his people because they had sinned and rebelled against him. And that's the way sin is. Many times we think that we can sin and we can get by with it. We think we can sin and God's just going to ignore it or he's going to tolerate it. But he never does that. And he did not do that uh, in the people of Israel's life in the Old Testament. And he didn't do that in the New Testament. And God still does not ignore sin today. There's always going to be consequences, negative consequences when we have sin in our life. Now, God never disciplines his people in order uh, to just destroy them. He doesn't punish them because he doesn't love them. Uh, God always punishes his people in a disciplinary type way. He punishes 
us in the same way that we as loving parents punish our children. They disobey us and we punish them. Uh, and we don't like having to punish them, but we punish them because we hope that in punishing them that they will see the error of their ways and that they will become obedient and that they will live the kind of lives that would be best for them and that we would want for them as parents. And God disciplines for the very same reason. And in the book of Nehemiah, what we see is God is punishing his people. He sent them into captivity and they're being punished. They're living in a foreign land under a foreign rule where people speak a foreign language. And uh, Nehemiah is in Babylon and he is serving basically as a slave to the king. And uh, one day, uh, some people, a remnant of people that did not get sent into captivity that are still in Jerusalem, a remnant of people come to the city where Nehemiah is in captivity. And he asked them about how things are in Jerusalem. And what these people tell Nehemiah is they tell him things are terrible. Uh, the walls of the city are torn down. People's houses are destroyed. The city is basically a shell of what you remember it to be. And Nehemiah is very grieved because he loves his people. Uh, he loves Jerusalem. He, he loves, uh, his history. And so he's very grieved. He's grieved, uh, for himself, but he's also grieved for, for his whole people. And so in, in a wonderful process in the book of Nehemiah that we're not going to look at, uh, he goes to the king. He goes to this pagan king and he asks permission of, uh, King Xerxes that he might go back and help rebuild the walls of his city, of the city of Jerusalem. And the king grants him this request. In fact, he offers to give him some of the materials that he will need to help rebuild the wall. And he gives him uh, some paperwork that will help him to be able to travel there without having a problem. And in the book of Nehemiah, we have the story of how Nehemiah goes back from Babylon to Jerusalem and he rallies the people of God and they uh, come together uh, in unity. And in 52 days, they rebuild the walls of Jerusalem in just a very short period of time. It is a, it's actually one of the, uh, one of the great marvels of engineering in the history of the world because during a time when they had no mechanical equipment, uh, they, they undertook a huge uh, feat of rebuilding this gigantic wall. They had to make all of the bricks and the things that they used by hand, and they rebuilt this wall in 52 days. And the book of Nehemiah is basically a historical account of this happening, how Nehemiah went back to Jerusalem, how he rallied the people, and against uh, difficulties and against great odds, uh, they were able to rebuild the walls and able to rebuild their homes and able to put the city of Jerusalem back on a stronger foundation. But when you get to the end of the book of Nehemiah, which is where we began to read today, we see that the scripture starts out in chapter 13 by saying, on that day, they read in the book of Moses. What was going on here? Well, the wall has been rebuilt. And uh, actually, they are in the process, if we went back and read in chapter 12, uh, Nehemiah and the people that have rebuilt the wall, they're in the process of basically having a worship service. Uh, in chapter 12, they're gathered together. Uh, they're singing songs of praise. There's a choir. Uh, they're praying prayers to God. Uh, they're basically having a worship service. They're having a dedication for the wall. They're thanking God for helping them to complete this task and they're worshiping the Lord. And in chapter 13, it says, on that day, they stood and read 
out of the book of Moses. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, the law, the Pentateuch. And they stand up during this worship service and they begin reading out of the books of Moses. And what is it that they read? Uh, as they're reading, it says, and therein was found written that the Ammonite and the Moabite should not come into the congregation of God forever. Now, the first thing I want us to see is that they stood and began to read the word of God. But what had happened in the past? There had been a neglect of the word of God. That is one of the reasons that they were in captivity. That's one of the reasons that they were being punished. It's one of the reasons that their city was deteriorated and that the walls were torn down and that the enemy was having victory in their lives and that they found themselves in such a disastrous situation is because in these former times, there had been a neglect of the word of God. They had neglected reading it. They had neglected studying it. They had neglected understanding it. They had neglected, most of all, obeying the word of God. God had given his people, God had given the children of Israel very clear instructions about what his will was and what they should do and what they should not do. And the children of God had determined over time that they were going to ignore the word of God, that they were that they were not going to take the word of God seriously, that they were not going to obey the word of God. And as a result, consequences, judgment came into their lives. And let me tell you, that's no different than we are today. God has given us his word. In fact, he's not just given us the first five books of the Bible, the books of Moses, like these people had. He's given us 66 books. He's given us the Old and the New Testament. He's given us the whole counsel of the Word of God. You and I have the precious Word of God. We know who God is. We know what God expects. We know what God's will is through his word. We know what he wants us to do and what he doesn't want us to do. But like the children of Israel, many of us are neglecting the word of God. We don't read it. We don't study it. We don't take it seriously. And most of all, many of us are not obeying what the word of God teaches. And my friends, just like there was consequences in the life of the children of Israel, when they neglected the word of God, there's going to be consequences in our lives. There's going to be consequences in our marriage. There's going to be consequences in our children and grandchildren's lives. There's going to be consequences in our society, in our schools, in our government. We're going to see the negative consequences as God judges his people and as God judges his church and as God judges our family and as God judges our nation and the nations of the world that reject him and reject his word and refuse to be obedient to what it is he's told us to do. And today we're looking at this idea, does our temple need cleaning? Does our temple need cleaning? And it could possibly be that just like the children of Israel, uh, their temple needed cleaning. We're going to see that in this passage of scripture. And it could very well possibly be that our temple needs to be cleansed as well. And one of the things that can cause that temple to become dirty is exactly what we see here in the children of Israel. They had neglected God's word. And as a result of neglecting God's word, they had allowed things into their lives that ought not to be there. And that's really the second thing I want us to see. Because notice it says they stood up in verse 1 and they read out of the book of Moses in the audience of all the people 
And there was found written that the Ammonites and the Moabites should not come into the congregation of God forever. And in verse 2, it tells us why. It says, because they met not the children of Israel with bread and with water, but hired Balaam against them, that he should curse them. How bet our God turned his curse into a blessing. And so we have to look back a little bit at history. Uh, they're standing up at this worship service. They're, they've been neglecting the word of God. They've not been obeying the word of God. And it has brought judgment into their lives. But Nehemiah has led the people back to a more of an obedient life. He's led them back to rebuild the walls of the city. They're having this worship service. They're singing songs of praise to God. They're praying prayers. They're giving offerings. And somebody stands up in the audience of all the people and opens the word of God and begins to read the word of God. And immediately when the word of God begins to be read, they hear something that they did not know or either they did not remember and it was certainly something that they were not being obedient to. What was it that they heard? They heard that God said that the Ammonites and the Moabites should not come into the congregation of God forever. And the reason is when the children of Israel were led out of slavery in Egypt across the Red Sea out into the wilderness toward the promised land, one of the places that God took his people was through the land of the Ammonites and the Moabites. And God's people asked them to help them with the provision of water and food. And the Ammonites and the Moabites refused to help the children of God. They refused to give them water and food. And not only did they refuse to help them, but they also hired uh, a false priest, if you will, uh, a sorcerer of sorts uh, named Balaam. Uh, to put a curse on the people of God. And so God, back when that happened, he judged the Ammonites and the Moabites because of this sin, because of their unwillingness to help his people with food and water, and because they hired this false cultic person to put a curse on the people of God, God judged them. And one of the judgments that he pronounced against them historically back when that happened was that no Ammonite or no Moabite would ever be able to come into the congregation of God forever. But what happened? If you notice verse three, it says, now it came to pass as they were reading and having this worship service and hearing the reading of this scripture, it came to pass when they heard the law that they separated from Israel all the mixed multitude. So what does that say? They're having this worship service. They're singing songs. They're praying prayers. They're giving offerings. And somebody stands up and reads out of the word of God. And one of the things that's read is that the Ammonites and Moabites should not come into the congregation of God forever. And you know what happens? As they're reading that, as they're listening to that, they begin to look around and they begin to say to themselves, well, isn't that an Ammonite? And isn't that a Moabite? And isn't that family over there, aren't they Ammonites? And aren't those people over there Moabites? What they realized was, as they were reading the word of God, is we're breaking this word. We're being disobedient to this word. We're literally sinning against God, even while we're standing here having this worship service, even while we're singing these praises to God, even while we're trying to pray to God, even while we're hearing the word of God read, because God's word says that no Ammonite and no Moabite should be able to come into the house of God forever, and yet they're here. They're around us. We have accepted them 
into this congregation. Now, that's what happens when there is a neglect of the Word of God. When you and I stop reading the Word of God, when we stop studying the Word of God, when we stop going to church to hear the preaching and teaching of the Word of God, when we stop taking the Word of God seriously, and certainly when we stop obeying the Word of God, there are going to come other consequences, other negative things into our lives. And one of the immediate things that are going to happen when we neglect the Word of God is exactly what happened when the children of Israel began to neglect the Word of God. They began to accept people and things into their lives that God did not want them to accept into their lives. They were accepting these pagan people into their lives. They were accepting these pagan people into their congregation. They were accepting these pagan people into their ideology. They were accepting these pagan people and these pagan things as, you know, were probably marrying them. Uh, they were having business relationships with them. They were socializing with them. And they didn't even know, they didn't even realize that in God's word, he had prohibited them from associating with these people because they had neglected the word of God. And that's what happens when we neglect the word of God, then we begin to allow things and people into our lives that are destructive for us and that ought not to be in our lives and that are against God's will for our lives. And we're no different today. Many of us, probably many of the people that are listening to my voice today, to one degree or another, if you were honest with yourself, you would have to say, you know, I have been neglecting the Word of God. I mean, I know that there's a Bible. I know that God has given us His Word. Maybe there's even some Bibles in my home uh, on a shelf somewhere. Maybe I used to read the Bible at some point in my life. But if, if you're listening to my voice today and you say to yourself, uh, you know, Brian, honestly, I don't even remember the last time I read the Word of God. I don't remember the last time I studied the Word of God. And certainly, I know that there are things in the Word of God that I'm not being obedient to. And there's probably many things in the Word of God that I don't know that I'm being disobedient to because I haven't read and I haven't studied enough to even know what God's will is. Well, my friends, that will cause our temple to become unclean. When there is a neglect of the Word of God, the natural outgrowth of that, the natural result of neglecting the Word of God is that we are going to allow people and things into our lives, into our families, into our marriages, into our children's lives, into our social lives. We're going to allow people and things into our lives that are destructive and that God is going to discipline us for allowing those things into our lives. But notice it goes further, because when you neglect the Word of God, it doesn't end just with a neglect of Word of God. See, most of us, Satan has convinced us, oh, you, you can ignore the Word of God. Nothing's going to happen. You don't have to read the Word of God. Uh, nothing's going to happen. Uh, it doesn't matter whether you obey the Word of God. That's just some old, out-of-date historical document. That's just some religious fairy tales. It doesn't matter if you read that or not. It doesn't matter if you believe that or not. It doesn't matter if you obey that or not. Satan has convinced us that we can neglect the Word of God without any negative consequences coming into our lives. 
But what we need to remember is this. The Bible says Satan is a liar and that he is the father of lies. He is a liar. He's always trying to get God's people not to believe the word of God, not to take the word of God seriously. From the very beginning of the creation of mankind, when God created Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, he came to them after God has spoken, after God had given Adam and Eve his specific word and will for their life. Satan came to them and said, did God really say this? Will this really happen? Do you have to obey his word? Will there truly be negative circumstances if you don't do what God says? From the very beginning of time, Satan has been trying to get the people of God, the creation of God, to neglect the word of God. And notice what happened in the children of Israel's lives. They neglected the word of God. And thus they begin to accept people and things into their lives that were not in God's will. But notice it goes further than that. Notice verse 4. It says, And before this, Eliashib the priest, having the oversight of the chamber of the house of our God, was allied unto Tobiah. Well, notice first of all who there's two new people that have entered into our story in verse 4. One of them is named Eliashib. Now he's not just anybody. He is the priest. He is a priest. He is a religious leader among the people of God. And the other man that's mentioned in that verse is Tobiah. Now, Tobiah was an Ammonite, and Tobiah was one of the people that God had forbidden them to associate with. And yet the scripture says that Eliashib, the priest, uh, had become allied with or become friends with Tobiah. Uh, Tobiah, if you go back and read the book of Nehemiah, you will discover that he was a wicked, wicked man. He was totally against God. He was totally against the people of God. He fought Nehemiah and the people that were rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. He fought them. He discouraged them. He lied against them. He did everything he could to keep Nehemiah and his fellow Jews from being able to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Now, this is the very man, this evil man, this ungodly man, we find here in this passage of Scripture that when there was a neglect of the Word of God and the people of God began to accept uh, people and things into their life that ought not to be accepted into their lives, that one of the natural consequences is, is they become friends with, they became allied with, these people and things that God did not want them to have a relationship with to the point that even Eliashib the priest has become allied with, has become friends with this wicked man, Tobiah. And we're the same way. I will guarantee you, based on the authority of the word of God, based on the teaching and the principles and the precepts of the word of God, that if you examine your life today, if you examine your family today, if we examine our society today, and we see that there is a neglect of the Word of God, then if we look close enough, we're going to see that as a result of neglecting the Word of God, that we have allowed things and people into our lives that God would not have to be there. There are things in our lives. It could be, it could be some sort of sin. 
It could be some sort of bad habit. It could be some sort of ungodly relationship. It could be some sort of temptation or desires or plans or evil. It could be many things, hundreds of things. But I will guarantee you this. If we have been neglecting the word of God, we will be able to see that we have allowed things into our life and people into our lives that are destructive for us and that are hurting us and that God would not have to be there. And here's the thing. If we keep those things around long enough, then we're going to become allied with those things. We're going to become friends with those things. We're going to become in close relationship and dependent on those things. Now, probably in the beginning, that's not our intention. We think to ourselves, well, I can allow this person into my life. I can allow this thing into my life, and I can, I can play with this thing, and I can try this thing, and I can taste this thing, but I'm not going to become hooked on this thing. I'm not going to become dependent on this thing. I'm not going to become uh, friends and closely associated with this thing. But that's exactly what happens. That's what happens when you neglect the word of God, you allow things in your life that ought not to be there. And before you know it, you are dependent on those things. You, those are the most important things in your life. You're neglecting the things that ought to be the most important things. And all of a sudden, these things and these people that ought not to even be in your life are the most important things in your life. And that's what had happened with Eliashib the priest. He not only had built a relationship with this man, Tobiah, that was an ungodly man, but he had become allied with this man. He had become friends with this man. But it gets even worse than that. It gets even worse than that because notice in verse 5 it says, And Eliashib prepared for Tobiah a great chamber. He prepared Tobiah a room in the house of God. Now, that's how our temple becomes unclean. You want to know how the temple becomes unclean. Here is Eliashib the priest cleaning out a room, cleaning out a chamber in the temple, in the house of God, and making room for Tobiah. He's not just associating with Tobiah. He doesn't just know Tobiah. He's not just talking with Tobiah. He has literally come to the point that he's moving Tobiah. He's moving this ungodly person. He's moving this evil thing into his temple, into the temple of God. How does how do you get to that point? How do you get to the point where you move something that is evil into the temple of God? How do you get to the point that you accept something that is evil to take up permanent residence in the temple of God? You get there because you neglect the word of God, and from neglecting the word of God, you accept people and things into your life that ought not to be there, and as you accept people and things into your life that ought not to be there, you build relationships and friendships with those things, and before you know it, you have moved those things, those ungodly things, into your life, into the temple of God. Because after all, what's the temple of God today? In the Old Testament, God dwelled in a temple made by human hands. He dwelt in a temple made of, of uh, stone and dirt and walls and bricks. But in the New Testament, the scripture says that God no longer dwells in temples made by human hands. Where does God dwell today? If God no longer dwells in temples made by human hands, what does he dwell in? The Bible tells us in the New Testament that today that our bodies have become the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
The temple that God dwells in today is not the temple that you see, not the church building that you see when you drive down the road and you look and you see a brick building with a steeple on it. That's not where God dwells. Today, God dwells in the temple of our heart. He dwells in the temple of our lives. And so in the Old Testament, when they neglected the word of God and they allowed people and things into their lives that God did not want to be in their lives, and then after doing that, they become allied with, they become friends with these things, they become associated with these things, they become dependent on these things. And before you know it, they had moved those ungodly people and those ungodly things into the temple of God. We do the same thing. What is it that we're moving them into? We're moving them into our lives because our body is now the temple of God. Our bodies are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. Our bodies are now the place that God seeks to dwell. We neglect God's word, and as a result of neglecting God's word, we allow things and people into our lives that ought not to be there. And then over time, we become allied with, we become friends with, We become closely associated with these people and things, even to the point that they take a place of prominence in our lives. And the next thing we know, we've moved these ungodly things and we've moved these ungodly people into our lives. But what we don't realize is we're moving them into our lives. We're moving them into the place that is supposed to be reserved for God. We've moved them into the place that's supposed to be reserved for the spirit of Almighty God. Our body is not to be a place. Our life is not to be a place for evil people and evil things, sinful people and sinful things, fleshly things. Our body and our lives are to be a place for God and for His Spirit to dwell. But many of us today, if we examine our lives and we're honest with ourselves, and we're honest with the Lord, we would have to admit, we would have to acknowledge that as a result of neglecting God's word, that we have allowed things in that ought not to be in our lives. Many of us, if we were honest with ourselves and honest with God, we could examine our lives today and we could say, we could write down, we could name the people and the things that we have allowed in our lives that ought not to be there. And if we're honest, many of those things we have become really close with, we have entered into a relationship with, we have become friends with, and now those things have been moved into our life. They've taken up residence in the temple of God. Rather than God being in our life, rather than the Holy Spirit being in control, rather than our lives being filled with holy things, with righteous things, with godly things, with things that are in the will of God, our lives, our temples are filled with ungodly things, with sinful things, with destructive things. It gets even worse because in 5 it says, And when Eliashib had prepared for Tobiah a great chamber, where aforetime they laid the meat offerings and the frankincense and the vessels and the tithes of the corn and the new wine and the oil, which were commanded to be given to the Levites and the singers and the porters and the offerings of the priest. Where was it that Eliashib moved this evil man, Tobiah? Well, he moved him into the house of God. He moved him into a room in the house of God, in the temple of God. But in order to do that, 
in order to make room for Tobiah, in order to make room for this evil man and this evil relationship, Eliashib the priest had to move out the things of God. He literally came to the point in his life that in order to accommodate evil, in order to accommodate sin, in order to accommodate and become friends with and to live in relationship with that which was outside of the will of God, he literally came to the point that he was willing to move out of his life, move out of the temple, the things of God, in order that he might make room for this evil man and his things. Now, what does that say to us? The, here's how it applies to us today. Many of us have committed the very same sin. We have neglected the word of God. We have allowed people and things into our lives that ought not to be there. As a result, we have become closely associated with those things, even friends with the world. And the Bible says that the friend of the world is the enemy of God. And most of the people in the world today, many people that are even hearing my voice today, we have become too friendly with the world and too friendly with the things of the world. And the Bible's clear that if you're a friend of the world, you're an enemy of God. And even Eliashib the priest here in this passage of Scripture, even a man of God, even somebody that knew better, even somebody that was supposed to be a spiritual leader among the people of God, even he was not immune to this happening in his life. And what we see is, is that he literally got to the point where he moved the things of God out of his life, out of the temple, in order that he might make room for these ungodly things in his life. My friends, have we done that? Have we literally moved ungodly people and ungodly relationships and ungodly thoughts and ungodly desires and ungodly words and ungodly actions and ungodly attitudes Have we literally moved ungodliness into the temple of God and we've thrown out God and thrown out the things of God in order to make room for those things in our life, in order to make room for those ungodly things in the temple of God? My friends, we need to examine our lives. You know, the easiest thing for us to do is to just keep going like we're going and and pretending that everything's okay and I don't have a problem in my life and and everything's all right and uh, I'm just living like everybody else and you know and and it's easy for Satan to just lull us into accepting things that we ought not to accept and participating in things that we ought not to participate in and living in ways that we ought not to live But if we look at this passage of Scripture today, and if God speaks to our heart through this passage of Scripture, and if we see ourselves, and if we see our lives, and if we see our families, and our children, and our grandchildren, and our society, if we can see ourselves in this passage of Scripture, that just like the people of God in the Old Testament were neglecting the word of God, that we're neglecting the word of God, that just like they accepted people and things into their life that ought not to be there, that we are accepting things and people in our life that ought not to be there, that just like they have befriended the wrong thing, that we have become allied and friendly with the wrong thing, that just like 
they got to the point that they moved the things of God out of their life in order to make room for these ungodly things, that in many ways we have done the very same thing, that we're in the process of living lives that are doing the very same thing. We don't have time for God. We don't have time for his word. We don't have time for his church. We don't care about his will. We don't uh, live in obedience to his word. Because we've thrown all of those things out. And we've moved all of these ungodly things in. What do you do? What do you do when this happens? What do you do when you realize that the temple of the Holy Spirit has become unclean? What do you do when you realize uh, that there's sin in our lives? What do you do? When you realize that we've neglected God's word and allowed things into our lives, into our temples that ought not to be there, well, there is a solution. And that's the good news of this message. Part of the message is taking a good, honest look at our lives and allowing the word of God and the Holy Spirit to reveal to us if there's sin in our life, if there's ungodliness in our temple, if our temple indeed needs to be cleansed. But the good news is that as bad as things were in this passage of Scripture, there was a solution to the problem. And the good news is today, no matter how bad our lives are, no matter how bad we have sinned, no matter how far we have strayed, no matter how bad we have messed up, no matter how disobedient we have been, there is hope in Jesus Christ. That is the good news of the gospel, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life because of Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ came to this earth 2000 years ago, because he was willing to go to a cross and sacrifice his body and shed his blood on a cross because he died for our sins, because he was buried, but he did not stay in the tomb, but on the third day rose victorious over death, hell, and the grave because Jesus Christ was raised because he is alive and because he's seated at the right hand of God and has been given all power and authority, there is hope for all of us. There is hope for even the most desperate situation. There is hope even for the worst sinner in the world. And let's see that there was hope in this passage of Scripture. We begin to see that in verse 7. It says, and I, that is Nehemiah, came to Jerusalem and understood the evil that Eliashib did for Tobiah. I believe that's the beginning of making things right. I believe that's the beginning of fixing the problem. Uh, somebody has to realize that there is a problem. Somebody has to realize that there is sin in the camp, that there is sin in our life, that there is sin in the temple. You know, so often we just walk around oblivious and we just kind of turn a blind eye to our sin and we turn a blind eye to our disobedience and we turn a blind eye to all of the ways that we're living that, that we ought not to live. And we justify so many things in our life that we don't even, we, we stop seeing our sin. 
We stop seeing our disobedience or we take it so lightly that it, that it doesn't matter anymore. But notice in this passage of scripture that Nehemiah wasn't like that. It says that he came to Jerusalem and he came to understand the evil that had been done. Well, what was the evil that had been done? Well, a neglect of the word of God and accepting people and things into the life of God's people that ought not to be there and becoming friends with those things and associated with those things and allied with those things to the point that we move the things of God out of our lives and move the ungodliness into our lives. And what did Nehemiah do? He recognized and acknowledged that there was sin, that there was evil that had been done. How are things going to get fixed in our lives? The very first step is we are going to have to be willing to recognize and acknowledge that we have sin in our lives, that we have uh, allowed things into our lives that we should not have allowed into our lives, and that our temple, the temple of the Holy Spirit, the temple that was designed to be the dwelling place of God, that we have filled that life, that we have filled that temple with things that ought not to be there. And we're going to have to realize that those things are sin, those things are evil, those things are wrong, and we're going to have to be willing to acknowledge those things. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And yet so many people today, they don't want to acknowledge their sin. They want to blame other people. They want to find excuses. Uh, they, they want to they, they want to do anything they can do to keep from admitting that they are responsible for the sin that's in their life. But my friends, the beginning of this problem being fixed in Nehemiah chapter 13 was Nehemiah coming to the realization that sin had been committed and that what had happened was evil. It was wrong. It was against God. And my friends, that's, that's where we're going to have to start. We're going to have to be willing to say, yes, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There are none righteous, like the Bible says, not one. And we're going to have to be willing to realize that we are the sinner, that we have done evil. And we're going to have to be willing to acknowledge that. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, that if we will confess our sin, that he, that is Jesus, is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness, there is nothing that we have done. There is no sin that we have committed that God cannot and will not completely forgive and cleanse out of our lives in order that our temples and our lives might become clean in order that they can become the dwelling place of the Spirit of God. But my friends, notice that verse begins with the word if. If we will confess, we must acknowledge our sin. We must acknowledge our disobedience and that it is evil in the sight of God. But notice he did something else. It says in verse 8, and it grieved Nehemiah terribly. What grieved him terribly? The sin that he recognized that was in uh, his people, the sin that he recognized that had been tolerated, the sin that had been allowed to come and take up residence in the house of God. That sin grieved Nehemiah. Let me ask you today, are you grieved over sin? Are you grieved over the sin that's in your life? Are you grieved over 
the times that you have disobeyed God? Are you grieved over the times that you've neglected his word? Are you grieved over the times that uh, you have allowed things and people into your life that ought not to be there? Are you grieved over the fact that you have uh, not had time for God, not had time for his word, not had time for his church, but you have put those things out of your life in order that you might invite evil things, ungodly things into your life? Are you grieved over that? Many people, they're not grieved at all. They don't even think about it. They don't even worry about it. It doesn't bother them at all that they've sinned against God. It doesn't bother, bother them at all that they've neglected God's word. It doesn't bother them at all that they are friends with and associated with evil things and evil people. It doesn't bother them at all that they have cast God and his word and his church out of their life in order that they might make room for ungodliness most people are not grieved or bothered at all because of those things. Well, my friend, until we become grieved, until we become sad and broken over the things that break the heart of God, then we're not going to have any change in our life. We're not going to receive forgiveness. We're not going to receive cleansing we're not going to be healed. We're not going to be put back in a right relationship with God until we're willing to confess our sin and until we are willing to become broken over our sin like Nehemiah was broken over his sin and the sins of his people. But notice in verse 8, it also says, And it grieved me sore, therefore I cast forth all the household stuff of Tobiah out of the chamber. <laughs> Nehemiah didn't just become sad over his sin and the sin of his people. He didn't just confess uh, the sin and the evil that they had done, but he did something about it. You see, repentance is being sorry for our sin, but repentance is more than that. Repentance is being willing to confess our sin and acknowledge our sin before God and to ask for his forgiveness, but it's more than that. Repentance is not only being sorry for our sin and being willing to confess our sin and ask for forgiveness, but true repentance is when we're willing to turn away from our sin and to go in a different direction, when we're willing to abandon our sin, when we're willing to cast it out of our life and allow God to help us to cast it out of our life and move in a totally new direction. And notice that we see that Nehemiah, he was grieved over sin. He did acknowledge sin, but notice that he also removed the sin with God's help. In verse 9, it says he cast forth all the household stuff of Tobiah. Now, I love that word. Uh, you know, a lot of times when I hear people preach, they will mention uh, Greek words or uh, Hebrew words, and there's nothing wrong with that. I've, I've studied in seminary, I've studied Greek and Hebrew, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. But my friends, you don't have to understand Greek and Hebrew to understand the Bible. You don't have to understand Greek and Hebrew to know the will of God for your life. And I love this translation here in this verse. Uh, it says that Nehemiah went into the chamber and he threw out all of the stuff of Tobiah. Have you got any stuff in your life? Have you got any stuff that ought not to be in your life? Uh, most of us do. Most of us do. Now, we're good at keeping it hidden. We're good at, at putting a good cover on it. Uh, 
uh, I, I tell the story. Uh, most of us have a, have a closet or, or, a, or a place in our house, maybe a building or a, a shed behind our house. We've got a place where we keep our excess stuff, where we keep our junk, where we keep all of the things that we don't want people to see. And, you know, maybe people come to our house and they come to our living room or our dining room or our kitchen and or our bathroom. And if they look around, they think to themselves, well, this man, this is clean. They keep this place really nice, really neat. But most of us somewhere in our home or on our property have a room or a building that we don't want anybody to look in. Because that's the place where we throw everything. That's the where when we're cleaning up, we just throw it in that room or in that building. And that place becomes a catch-all. And over weeks and months and years, it can become filled with junk, with stuff that, that we don't want anymore, that, that, that we don't want to deal with, that, you know, we should throw it away, but it's still here. We got to keep it somewhere. And it just stays piled up in this room or this closet. And I've said before that, that our house is like that. Our house usually stays clean, but we'll have that one closet. And, and, you know, if you open the door, it, it wants to come out on you like an avalanche. And we wouldn't want anybody to look into, to that closet because they would see that we have a bunch of stuff that hasn't been taken care of, a bunch of stuff that's a mess, a bunch of stuff that, uh, is, is cluttered and that, and that we would be embarrassed if people would see. But my friend, here's the thing. We don't just have a closet like that in our home. We don't just have a room or a building like that just on our personal property. Most of us have a closet or a room like that in our lives, in our temple. It's the place where we keep all of that ungodly stuff, all of that ungodly sin, all of that ungodly garbage, all of that ungodly desires and thoughts and words and actions, and we keep it piled up in that room. We don't get rid of it. We don't confess it. We don't get God to forgive it and cleanse it. We don't get victory over it. We just keep it piled up in our temple, in our lives, in some room, hidden away from most of the world. But my friend, it's not hidden from God. He knows it's there. He knows it's there, and he knows it needs to be dealt with. And notice that that's exactly what Nehemiah did. He threw out all of the stuff of Tobiah. He went into the temple of God, and he went into that room where Eliashib the priest had allowed Tobiah, had allowed this evil man to set up residence in the temple of God. And Nehemiah went into that room, and he began to throw out all of Tobiah's stuff out of the house of God. And my friends, that's what we need to do. With God's help today, we need to begin to remove, we need to begin to allow God to remove that sin, that ungodliness, those things that we have allowed into our lives that ought not to be there, those things that are bringing destruction into our lives and into our families today We need to do what Nehemiah did. We need to begin to remove and allow God to remove and ask him to help us to remove those things that are in our lives, in our temples. We need to remove that stuff out of our lives. It's been put there and it needs to be removed. We brought it into our lives and we need God to help us to get it out of our lives. And so many times 
People want to come to God and people want to be made right with God and people want forgiveness from God and people want healing from God and people want peace from God and people want salvation from God, but they don't want to get rid of the ungodly stuff that they have brought into their lives. And my friends, I'm telling you today, based on the authority of God's word, that until we are ready to allow God to remove those things out of our lives, out of our temples that ought not to be there, that we're not going to receive the forgiveness and the cleansing and the salvation that only God can bring. But when we're ready, when we're ready to acknowledge our sin, when we're ready to be grieved over the things that grieve the heart of God, when we're ready to remove those things out of our lives or allow God to remove those things out of our lives that should have never been there to start with, we're going to be in the process. We're going to be on the right road to healing and to recovery and the most important to salvation and to an abundant Christian life. But notice there's even another step in verse 9. Not only did he remove the stuff of Tobiah, but notice verse 9. It says, Then I, then Nehemiah commanded, and they cleansed the chamber. (laughs) And they cleansed the chamber. You see, not only do those things need to be removed from our lives, from removed from our temples that we've brought into our lives that ought not to be there, that are sinful, that are ungodly, not only must those things be forgiven, Not only must those things be taken away, not only must we repent and turn away from those things, but our life must be cleansed. Nehemiah didn't just take the stuff out that was brought in. He didn't just throw away the ungodly things. He didn't just remove the ungodly things. After they were removed, he cleansed the temple. How is our temple cleansed today? How is our temple cleansed today? When you and I bring sin into our life, when we bring ungodliness into our life, when we allow evil things into our lives, how are our lives cleansed after we've done that? How are we made clean? How is this temple prepared for God to come in once we have made a mess of our lives? We're cleansed through one thing and one thing only. And that is the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the blood that he shed on Calvary's cross. It is the only thing that will remove the stain of sin. It is the only thing that can cleanse our lives. Going to church is not going to cleanse us. Confessing to an earthly priest is not going to cleanse us. Doing good works is not going to cleanse us. The only thing that's going to cleanse us from our sin is the blood of Jesus. The song says, what can wash away my sin? And the answer comes, nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. My friends, if you need to be cleansed today, if you need to be forgiven today, If you recognize that you've sinned against God, if you recognize that you've neglected his word, if you recognize that you've been living in disobedience to him and to his word and to his will, my friends, I'm telling you today that if you will acknowledge your sin, if you will allow the Holy Spirit of God to break you so that you will become grieved over the sin that's in your life, grieved over the things that grieve the heart of God, and if you will begin to allow God to remove those things out of your lives that need to be removed, He will come in, and He not only will take the things out that need to be taken out, but He will cleanse you 
Remember that verse, 1 John 1, 9? If we will confess, if we will confess, what does the verse say he will do? It says, if we will confess our sin, then he, Jesus Christ, is just, and he will forgive us, and he will cleanse us from our sin. My friend, do you need cleansing today? It can be found in Jesus Christ. It can be found in the blood of Jesus Christ. And then the very last part of verse 9 It says, Then I commanded, and they cleansed the chambers, and there brought I again the vessels of the house of God with the meat offering and the frankincense. Notice that not only did Nehemiah cleanse the temple, but then he brought back the things of God. He brought back the things of God that had been removed out of the temple, the things that Eliashib the priest had taken out of the temple in order to make room to bring in Tobiah and these evil things. Nehemiah came. He was grieved over the sin that had been done. He confessed this sin as being evil, as being wrong. He asked for forgiveness. He allowed God to cleanse uh, that temple. He removed those things that need to be removed. And then finally, he brought back the things of God. You know what the last thing we need to do is to get our life back at, like it needs to be? We need to bring back those things into our life that have been removed. If you've been neglecting the Word of God, stop neglecting it. If you've not been reading the Word of God, read it. If you've not been studying the Word of God, study it. If you've not been obedient to the Word of God, obey it. If you've not been praying, then start praying. If you've been neglecting the house of God and and not going to, to worship God with brothers and sisters in Christ, if you've not been going to hear the preaching and teaching of God's word, then start going. Whatever it is that we have removed that are godly things in our life, then we need to put those things back. We need to bring those things back into our lives, back into the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is our life. And so today, I would challenge all of us to examine our lives. Is our temple clean? Does our temple need to be clean? And when we think about our temple today, we're not thinking about the church building. We're not thinking about the bricks and the steeple because the Bible's clear that God no longer dwells in temples made by human hands. What we're asking ourselves today is, God's wanting to dwell in your life. He's wanting to dwell, literally. His Holy Spirit is wanting to come and take up residence in your life. And the question is this, is he there? And if he's not there, it's probably because there's things in your life, there's things in your temple that ought not to be there, that you've brought in, that are sinful, that are disobedient, that are against God. And what he wants to do is he wants to remove those things in order that he can come in, in order that he can bring forgiveness and cleansing from sin, in order that he can restore the broken relationship between you and God, in order that he might bring salvation to your life, in order that he might be able to fill you with his Holy Spirit, Your life will no longer be filled with these ungodly things and these ungodly people and these ungodly desires and these ungodly actions, but you're going to be filled with the Spirit of God and the things of God. And then, and then alone, will you be able to experience the abundant life that comes only through a close personal relationship with Jesus Christ and not only an abundant life here on this earth, 
but an eternal life with Jesus Christ in heaven because we know him as Savior and Lord and we're walking in a right relationship with him because we've been cleansed and made right through the blood of Jesus Christ. My friends, examine your life today. Examine your temple today through the light of the Holy Spirit, through the light of the Scripture. And if there are things that need to be cleansed, then allow Jesus Christ to cleanse you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you been made right with God through Jesus Christ, or is there something keeping you from Him? It's our prayer that you would turn from the bad influences in your life, turn from sin, and turn to Him. You're listening to Save to the Uttermost with Evangelist Brian Tyndall, founder and president of Uttermost Evangelism. You've been listening to the message entitled, Does Our Temple Need Cleaning? And you can request a copy of the message on CD when you visit our website, uttermostevangelism.org. That's uttermostevangelism.org. Proclaiming the gospel is why we exist, and if what you heard today has prompted you to consider your own position with God, we'd like to send you a booklet written by Brian Tyndall that will spell out five important aspects of salvation, why all people need to be saved, how God has made our salvation possible, why anyone can be saved, what salvation really is, and how we receive God's gift of salvation. This booklet is free as our gift to you when you visit uttermostevangelism.org and request a copy. I'll also give you a phone number and an address in just a bit. Brian Tyndall preaches revivals and evangelistic crusades in the United States and around the world. Many times he'll be invited to smaller population areas that haven't heard the gospel, and the Lord brings about a great harvest. If you've benefited from Brian's teaching and would like to see the gospel expanded to the uttermost parts of the world, prayerfully consider supporting Uttermost Evangelism through your prayers and financial gifts. You can give online when you visit uttermostevangelism.org. You can also send a check to Uttermost Evangelism, P.O. Box 7, Pontotoc, Mississippi, 38863. That address again is P.O. Box 7, Pontotoc, Mississippi. That's P-O-N-T-O-T-O-C, Pontotoc, Mississippi, 38863. Or you can call us at 662-372-1912. That's 662-372-1912. Thanks for listening today. Join us again next time. And remember, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those that come to God through him. God bless. Save to the Uttermost is provided by Uttermost Evangelism, Pontotoc, Mississippi.